How many of us tonight would say, I would like to share about my faith in Christ more with other people? I would like to share with more people that, uh, about Christ and what He's done and the salvation that He's offered, that what He's done for them and, and how He's changed my life. I think all of us probably would say that. I hope that God's working in your life and I hope that that is the sense that you have. But I think that many times we wonder, okay, I want to do that. It's not a, it's not a question of that I, my desire. I desire to do that, but I think it's a question of what? How? How do I do that? How do I be a faithful witness for the Lord? Listen, isn't this the challenge sometimes? How do I take what I'm reading in the Bible and do what? Live it out in real life. Well, I want to encourage you tonight as we move closer to Easter that there is no better time as followers of Jesus for us to be considering those questions. Because this is one time of year that, you know what, there are a lot of people in our community. There's a lot of people in our country. Now the United States is the third largest unreached country for the Lord in the world. Did you know that? There are a lot of people in our community, in our country, that do not have a relationship with the Lord. But listen, actually, there's a blessing in the sense that because we live in a nation where the Bible and the things of God have at least been a part of our nation's history, that people aren't totally without knowledge of who God is. And so we have people that, that understand some things about the Bible, that have heard about Jesus, and, and they kind of, uh, you know, it's not so foreign to hear those kind of concepts. And actually, to such an extent, that for most people in our country, Easter is a big deal. Isn't it? Most people, Easter is at least the one time of the year that I'm going to consider thinking about God or going back to church. More people clearly are thinking about that than any other time of the year. There may even be people that are taking even sort of some, some kind of spiritual steps. They're responding to it. So they're, maybe they're a part of Lent. Maybe they're kind of, you know, fasting or giving up some things. And, and they've kind of heard over the years that that's something that you would do this time of year. And probably most people are going to attend some special services during Holy Week, during the, the week leading up to Easter weekend. Probably most people are considering going to church in, in some form or fashion. So listen, if you are hoping for a time to share about Jesus with other people, hello, hello, the next couple of weeks, is one of the greatest opportunities that we have. And so we should be ready. So tonight, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about getting stronger in sharing Jesus with other people. And we're going to look at this passage in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34, and look at how can we get better at that? How can we be more prepared to share the good news about what Christ has done? And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is a great passage for us to look at in order to consider that. And, and, and we're, we're sort of jumping in the middle of a book here, in the, a book of the Bible. And so I want to give you a little bit of an idea of what we're talking about, a little bit of a background before we read Acts chapter 16 tonight. What we find in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, is the Apostle Paul and some others, some of his missionary friends, they were on what people call his second missionary journey. Okay, and probably in the back of your Bible, if you have your own copy of the Bible, in the back, there's the maps back there, you know, you'll probably see Paul's first missionary journey, Paul's second missionary journey, Paul's third missionary journey. And you can kind of follow in that map. You see up there, it's on the screen, there's some of the places that they went from Jerusalem, they, they headed kind of northwest up through Asia, Asia Minor, they ended up in Troas, got, went across to Philippi, and actually, what, what we're reading tonight is them going across to Philippi, and actually, in world history, that was significant. 
Because the good news about Jesus went from the east to the west. It went from Asia to Europe. And in your heart, you ought to say, praise the Lord. That's probably why I came to know the Lord. Because the good news came across to the peoples that would impact my life. And so what we see is we see those early disciples, the apostles, they're, they're traveling around. They're going from, you see there on the screen, Philippi. They're traveling, uh, they start going west, southwest, over close to Thessalonica. And then they start coming down uh, through Berea and several small towns there. You'll see in Acts chapter 16. And basically what happens is they go into every one of those towns and people come to know the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. People were giving their life to Christ. People were hungry and searching just like they are today. And actually, in Philippi and in Thessalonica, churches were started. And in Philippi, they got the joy of being thrown into jail for it. Then they got beaten. Then they got kicked out of town. So then they went to uh, some of those other areas, again, heading sort of uh, west, southwest there. And, and as they went into the other areas, they got led some people to the Lord. They started church in Thessalonica. And then they caused, some of their enemies caused a riot and ran them out of town. Then they went down to the, the, the place, I mean, sort of Berea. They led some people to the Lord there. Their enemies again caused a riot. Ran them out of town. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 17, verse 16, Paul had been split up from that group of missionaries. And no doubt, they were trying to figure out, what do we do and where do we go next? And I want us to look at what happened with the Apostle Paul. A powerful passage. I can remember... Years ago, here in this passage, it has affected my, um, the, 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 the desire and the way that I witness ever since I first read this passage. And I want to share it with you tonight. Hopefully it will help you to become stronger in sharing about Jesus. Write this down. First of all, Paul teaches us in these verses that we should always be ready. If you want to get stronger... As a witness for Jesus. And what do I mean by witness? Some of you say, what's a witness? I mean, you're talking about a court case here. If you've never heard of that church, if you haven't been to church much, it basically means someone who gives a testimony, right? And so Christians call what we give, when we share about Jesus, we call that we're giving a witness. We're giving testimony, okay? And so if we want to be a good, strong witness for the Lord, Paul teaches us we need to always be ready. Again, the group had gotten split up, it appears. And obviously... They had been through so much. Remember I said they had shared with some people. They had started church. They got put in jail. They got beat up. That's enough for me, right? If you did that once on a mission trip, wouldn't that be the mission trip of all mission trips for you? Wouldn't you say, I ain't going back there? You might even say, I'm not opening my mouth anymore, right? Well, they went to the next town. It happened again. They basically, the same things can happen several times. And then I'm sure they were at a place of trying to get their bearings. And that's where we find Paul in Acts 17, verse 16. Let's pick up there. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, Athens, Greece, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idol babbler wish to say? Others he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. 
And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Then there's kind of an explanation in verse 21. It says, Now, in case you didn't know, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said some things. And we're going to look at those things here in just a moment. But I want us to think about this for just a moment. As we start in verse 16, I just shared with you all the, the struggle that they had been through. And by the way, this struggle was, as I said, because they were doing what? Sharing about God. They were serving the Lord. Have you ever said in your life, God, look at all the things I'm trying to do for you, and yet this is still... All these bad things are happening to me. Wouldn't you think at least Paul might think and maybe even deserve? I'm calling time out for a little bit. Okay? You guys kind of get some things squared away or we'll get back together. But I mean, can't you just picture Paul in Athens now? I mean, they've escaped from some of the places where they probably come close to losing their life. And now he's sitting here in Athens. Can't you just see him kind of sit back? Do you ever go to the mall? I just like watching people. You ever just kind of sit back? You know, you just kind of sit. Shannon's doing something. You know, I'm an old man. You know, our legs get automatically tired as soon as we're going to the mall, right? So I sit out on the bench and I, she looks at things and I look at people, right? And I can see the Apostle Paul just kind of sitting there. I think it would have been totally fine. Nobody knows me here. I don't have to be the preacher, right? I don't have to share anything. I don't have to do any ministry. Listen, instead of having that attitude, while Paul was waiting, we see him take the opportunity to share. Isn't that incredible? Does that challenge you like it does me? It reminds me of our Lord. In John chapter 4, verse 6, you see a passage where Jesus it says he was tired from a trip. He was thirsty. It was the middle of the day. It was hot. You ever been hot and tired and thirsty? Do you feel like just like engaging with someone else at that point? But it says in John chapter 4, verse 6, that that's exactly what Jesus did. A woman came to a well where he was sitting there, and he engaged her in a conversation and shared about the hope that can be found in him. Now, we Christians, listen, isn't this true? We're bad about wanting some heads up. We're bad about needing a little lead time, aren't we? I need to kind of gear up for this. Now's not a good time. You know, I wasn't really expecting this or, or whatever we might say. But, you know, I want to think about it for just a second. If you were a salesman, would you do that to people that were looking for whatever you were trying to sell? Well, if somebody came into your business, would you say, hey, you know, it'd be really helpful if, if you could let me know at the point where you're thinking I'm going to buy something and then, you know, help, maybe I can get ready for it because I'm not quite ready for it yet. If you're a salesman, would you ever do that? I'm just going to kind of not do anything with you until I sort of get ready for it. We've got law enforcement in our church family. Would they ever say, hey, could you give me some lead time on your emergency? Because we're not quite ready yet, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of inconvenient to get these calls from 911, isn't it? And so if y'all could just send a smoke signal up first and give us a little warning, you know, that would be good. Now, if you were at your work, what would your boss say? Your boss would say, you better always be ready. Amen? That is, the, that is the kind of heart 
That's the kind of attitude that we ought to have as sharers of the greatest message ever. And I'm not talking about always being real, like just being jittery or on edge about it. You know, like over-anxious and sort of in people's face. Some Christians get like that. You know, it's like they're carrying this big load and burden. They just got to dump it on somebody. Well, that's how it comes across. That's not what we're talking about. Now listen, I mean that the Apostle Paul, he was on it, wasn't he? He was like, he was like looking for it. Not sort of, okay, if it comes along, you know, okay, God, like me on airplanes sometimes. You ever, you, know, you ever been on an airplane? Just, I, airplanes are great opportunities to share with people, but sometimes I don't want to. So sometimes I just say, you know what, I'm just going to go to sleep, right? But Paul never did that. Paul was looking around. He was anticipating, and he wasn't surprised by opportunities because he was looking for them. Don't we Christians take a lot of time off? Seriously, I just, let's let the Lord challenge our hearts now. Don't we kind of give ourselves uh, freedom to sort of check out for a little bit? Hey, I'm at church tonight. You know, I, I'm off tonight. Okay, I'm, I'm here to worship God. Or, you know, I'm in this growth group and I'm here because I need to hear from God and, and God's speaking to my heart and I'm trying to grow and I'm trying to understand things. I'm off right now. I'm on my way home from work. I'm just trying to pump gas. Please don't have a need. Amen. Please don't. Please don't act spiritually hungry or anything. Because I just, I don't want to go there right now. I'm just being honest. I feel like this sometimes. Do you? I'm eating dinner right now with my family. Please don't express a need, server. Because I can't engage. I can't minister. I can't share Jesus with you right now. The question is, when are we on? If we're off, when are we on? Is it only when we're scheduled to be? I think sometimes, and again, I believe the Lord would speak to us tonight about this because maybe we're missing opportunities because we have, in our mind, we sort of have it compartmentalized. So we think, okay, if I'm on, if I'm expected, if I'm on a schedule to serve, okay, then I'm on, okay? I'm a greeter tonight, so I'm on. I mean, I'm thinking about it. I want to be nice to people, and I'm glad that people, well, they're on when they're serving, amen? That's a good thing. What we're saying is take it beyond that. And not just when I'm expected to be engaged, but all the time. Over the years, I've had the privilege of knowing some people who were like that. And I want to tell you what a blessing. I I, I know some people that, you know what, you can be in a conversation. I can be in shorts and a t-shirt on a soccer field or at a game or fishing or riding in a car. And we're just eating a burger and some fries. And we're just sort of being regular And these people have the ability to pick up just like that and change gears and get very ministry-oriented. I've seen it towards me. I had it happen a few weeks ago. We were at, uh, one of the kids had a sporting event and I was there and it was the end of the day and I wasn't feeling great, but you know, I didn't really want to share that with anybody. I was just trying, you know, hey, how you doing? All good, I'm going home in a minute. But anyway, there was another pastor there And that pastor walked up and, how are you doing? We're just sort of small talking. All of a sudden, I don't know how he did it, but he picked up that I sort of needed to be ministered to. He changed gears like that. I mean, it was, you know, oh, they're doing a great job. This team's good. You know, all that stuff. And all of a sudden, he changed gears. It was like everybody else went away and he focused on me and ended up putting his arm around me and praying for me. Now, that's not talking about sharing in the sense of sharing Christ, but it's the same thing, isn't it? It's just having that love for the Lord and that sensitivity to Him to just be thinking, you know what? What that says to me is, I want to be like that. Amen? I don't want to miss anything. 
that God brings across my path. They say, well, how do you do that? How do you, how do you, how do people do that? I mean, do I need to write it down? Do I need to put it, you know, there's all these, these uh, techniques that people give you about starting good habits and discipline. And some of that's good, isn't it? Put a little dot in your car, and every time you see the dot, you know, you say, don't put it over the speedometer, or, or the gas, okay. But put, the, put a little stick, sticky in your car somewhere, and every time you see it, that says, don't forget to look for opportunity. I mean, there's some things like that you could do. You could have an accountability partner who asks you once a week, hey, have you been looking for opportunity? All those things are good. But tonight, I want to share with you what really makes this happen. In fact, like the car commercial says, it's huge. <laughs> ja. Ja. <laughs> All right. Verse 16. I need to have a heart like Jesus. It says, while Paul was waiting for them, and again, I'm sitting there at the ball. I'm just, I'm just, please, let me have a breather here. I'm just, I've been beaten up. I've been in jail. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to. That's not what Paul's doing. He's ready. Why was that though? Why, why is Paul different than me in so many ways? Many times it says because his spirit was being, as he was sitting there, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. What had happened was that the city of uh, Athens at this time, the, the uh, Corinth actually had sort of, as you saw the map earlier, later they're going to end up actually, I think one chapter later, they're going to go to Corinth and God's going to do a great work there and that's where we get the books of uh, Corinthians. But Corinth had really kind of replaced Athens as maybe the number one uh, town there, as the number one kind of center for politics and all that kind of stuff. But Athens was still very much kind of a bustling city. Its university was known all over the world, and it was kind of the philosophical, sort of intellectual capital of the world. And listen, just to let you know, like religious-wise, there were, there were literally gods on every corner. Okay, there were idols, that's what it says here. And so here's Paul, he sees this bustling city, he sees all these people passing by, and he sees these idols on every corner. He was noticing that these people were unsure, they were superstitious. In a positive way, they were doing what? They were searching, weren't they? Now, you got a situation where there's a bunch of people walking around, just like our world, just walking around doing all kinds of different things, and you've got a guy who had been radically transformed by the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. You got to understand, this was not Paul saying, okay, I see all you guys' religion, but... My religion's better than yours. This is not what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, I have met the living God. He has changed my life. He has delivered me from the bondage of religion. And I see so many people that are searching. I so want them to know this same Savior too. The Apostle Paul had the heart of our Lord. We see it very clearly. One of the best passages to reflect this is Matthew 9, verses 35-38. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages. Again, you've got to get this image in your mind. Here's when, 
when we're a servant of God, when He has changed our lives, here's Jesus. He's searching. He's going through all the cities, all the villages. You see Paul, same kind of way. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of sickness and disease. And it says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Deep in his heart, he felt something for them. It's really incredible uh, wording here. Because they were distressed and dispirited. Their lives were torn apart and thrown down like sheep without a shepherd. Does that sound like what Paul was doing? He's sitting there looking out across there and there are people whose lives were torn apart. And it is so unnecessary because there is what? Hope. There's a Savior. He was showing the heart of Jesus. Over and over again, you see that in Jesus, don't you? He's thinking about that person that he's with. He's, he's demonstrating his care and his concern for them so that they could have life and so that the next person could have life. I want to ask you a question. Is that your heart? Listen, has God so drastically changed your life? What does that mean? The Bible says, if I'm a Christian, I have gone from darkness to light. Isn't that a big difference? I mean, isn't it like total opposite? I have gone from death to life. We read these things in the Scripture, and after a while we just sort of think in our minds, yeah, I know, darkness to light, death to life, you know, old to new. No, go to the funeral home and watch a person sit up in a casket. That's a little different situation, isn't it? From death to life is completely transformed different. Has God so done that kind of work, taking you from the way you used to be to now, man, I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot farther along than I used to be, and now I have a relationship with God. Isn't it incredible? He's working in my life. He's, he's showing me His purpose. I'm somehow making a difference in hopefully other people's lives, and I know I'm going to heaven when this mess is over. He has so changed my life that as I look around and I see others who, who don't know Him, doesn't that make us say? Even if I say, I'm not sure how. I'm not sure the best way. I've got to sort of figure some things out. But somehow, some way, I have got to say something. It wouldn't be right not to, would it? You have the heart of Jesus. That, that's, that's what Paul had. What are some of the key components of that kind of heart? First of all, to really love people. I mean, Jesus truly loves us. We say that so much because, yeah, Jesus loves you. Yeah, Jesus loves you. I mean, we, we just say it. No, when you look at what the Bible says love really is, Jesus does that towards us. It's incredible, isn't it? He looks out on this crowd tonight. He knows that there may be somebody in this room that was going to give up today unless you got some hope at church tonight. He knows that. He knows some of you have been in a battle with your spouse or with your kids or something at work for months and it's wearing you down. He sees that. He sees right through all the walls that all of us put up. He looks across this room and the Bible said in Matthew chapter 9 that deep in his soul, deep in his gut, deep in his heart, the Bible says that that bothers Jesus. It moves Jesus. Now listen, if I have the heart of Jesus, I'm going to begin to love people like that. And by the way, you may not initially 
I heard a missionary say a few years ago, he says, you know, there's been this notion that you have to develop a heart for the people that you have to share with before you can share with them. He says, you know what? I believe that God does give you a heart for people when you begin to minister to them, but you don't have to wait till you just have warm fuzzies for somebody. Go ahead and just say, Jesus cares for them, so if I'm His servant, I'm going to care for Him, and I guarantee you, you begin doing that. You can't help it. You start caring for people too. So first of all, it's to love people, but secondly, you've got to be dead to self. Let me just share with you, I'm going to beat that drum for the rest of my life because I need to hear it, and so do you. If you are going to be God's servant in this world, you've got to make a decision that I am choosing to die to self and to rise in new life, and Christ lives through me. Friend, listen, yourself, right on Galatians 2, verse 20, yourself always gets in the way. It always blocks what God wants to do. Now, it's not that you are not important. If Paul had sat down in Athens and said, I'd like a drink of water, it's not that the Lord says, well, that's awfully selfish. You don't need to be thinking about a drink of water. You need to be thinking about sharing with that person. No, I think I could want a drink of water. And I could go get a drink of water. And you know what? Paul just trusted the Lord so much that, hey, even in the small thing of me going to get a drink of water, Jesus did by well, I might have the opportunity to talk with someone about him. Our problem is not that we're going to get a drink of water, but we're, this is me, I'm spastic about a drink of water. I'm like, I got to have a drink of water. Get out of my way, everybody else. Even if you're standing in line for water, it's all about Robbie. He's thirsty. Please move. Amen. So I pretty well lost every opportunity to do much ministering to anybody else in that moment, right? Self always gets in the way. I want to ask you to do three things. First of all, ask God to give you His eyes. You ever heard that Brandon Heath song? Give me your eyes so I'll stop missing all this stuff that's going on around me that God is doing. Is that your heart? God, give me your eyes. Secondly, Start paying attention at bigger events that you go to. What, what I'm trying to encourage you to do is to begin to see the larger need. Listen, if you go to a hockey game at the Civic Center, I want to encourage you to say, God, would you remind me the next time I go to a game just to stop at some point during the game and just to let the crowd noise and the game and everything else fade away. And I just want to look around the crowd and think about, I wonder what God is doing in each one of these people's hearts. You ever do that? You're at a large event. You're at Lake George for July 4th. There's still snow on the ground, but you're enjoying the, you're enjoying the fireworks. I mean, there's a lot of people. Do you say, man, all these people get on my nerves. Why are all these people in Lake George on July 4th? I should be the only one. There's the self part, right? Or do you say, wow, God, I didn't even realize all this many people lived here. I wonder what you're up to in their life. Maybe you're sitting in downtown Glens Falls. You know, you're just at the, what is it, pasta bowl or whatever. You know, you're sitting there, you're having a rolls or is that the Mexican place? You're just sitting there, you're just having a, you know, having a nice meal and you're sitting out there and you just watch all those cars going by. Man, I wonder if that person knows the Lord. I wonder if that person knows the Lord. Even to pray. Sometimes I just pray. I'm just sitting there eating and I just say, Lord, I pray for that lady. She looked like she was not feeling real good and happy with anybody or, you know, Whatever. 
Number three, start paying attention in smaller settings. Okay, so ask God to give you his eyes. Start paying attention in larger settings. Listen, can you imagine? I'm standing up in front of you every weekend. I can't help but wonder what God is doing in all these people's hearts. It can be overwhelming. But it also is a great privilege to be a part of God doing something. But then you began to start paying attention on the smaller level. Okay, Here's what I want to encourage you to do. is As you start having those opportunities with, with individuals, start asking God to help you with the person in front of you right now. We're always thinking about doing God's work in somebody else's life other than the people around us. What about the person sitting behind you tonight or sitting next to you? Or what about the person, not that you're going to see next week at work, but the person you're going to see uh, drinking coffee tonight? Would you ask God just to say, Lord, don't we do that? We'll have a message about sharing. We'll have a message about ministering to someone. We'll walk out the door. Where's my coffee? Right? That's, I said the water. But you might, maybe it's coffee or donut or something like that. And we're just totally, right now, tonight, there's going to be some people around you. Ask God, help me start noticing that person right now. And I've I got to give you a little bit of a challenge. If you never develop that kind of a heart, it probably means that you're not very involved in ministering to other people. Because I've got to tell you something, even if you don't have warm fuzzies for people, okay? Even if you say, I just don't, you know, I just don't have that empathy or whatever... When you start getting involved in other people's lives, you can't help but care if Christ is in you. So I would just challenge you. If you say, why don't I have that? Are you engaging with other people? Are you involved in reaching out and ministering to other people? Because if you do, you start hearing real people, not theoretical people, real people. You start hearing about their real life. I guarantee you, if Christ is in you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you can't help. Start wondering, first of all, I wonder if they know you, Lord. And then secondly, how would you use me as your servant in their life? Okay, so if you want to be a, a better witness, a stronger person in sharing your faith, sharing the good news, first of all, God, I always want to be ready. Would you help me? Nobody's going to pull that off perfect, but is that our heart tonight? God, would you speak to me? And would I hear your voice speaking? Secondly, Lord, I need you to give me your heart. Because I can't be good. But if I can have your heart, I'll be a lot more sensitive. And the third thing is consider the best approach. Every situation, consider the best approach. This is a great passage of Scripture. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the verses and just kind of talk through them as we go. But verses uh, 16 through 22 we've already read. So I want to kind of just summarize that a little bit for you. Basically, we see Paul, he's there in Athens. He goes to the synagogue because the synagogue would have been the place that said where the Jewish people and the God-fearers were. That's saying there were some people who were showing some spiritual interest. They were going to church. They were, uh, in, in, their, in their sense, they were going and they were seeking God somewhere, okay? So Paul went there, but he also went to the marketplace. He didn't just go to the places where people gathered to learn about God. He went out into life with people who didn't necessarily, weren't necessarily expressing that interest. Then it says he was talking to some philosophers. There was the Epicureans and then there were the Stoics. And I'm going to kind of oversimplify it a little bit. But the Epicureans, basically their philosophy was to pursue pleasure. Okay? The Stoics were deny pleasure. So it's kind of like us today. There are people that many Americans 
our philosophy is get as much as you can as fast as you can, right? Okay, so that was one philosophy. Then there's kind of religion that many of us have heard of or been involved in. Religion says, no, you're supposed to make it hard on yourself. And that's the way you're supposed to live. So which is it? Which philosophy is right? Live it up or give it up? Avoid it all. And these people's response to Paul was this. They said, who is this babbler? Who is this idle babbler? Now, it's hard to translate in English, but basically it was talking about a bird that picked up seeds out on the street. Okay? And it came to mean somebody in that context because it said in Athens, there was a lot of people that used to sit around and just sort of try to impress people with how smart they were and talk about philosophy and things like that. Okay? And there were some smart people. But this was a term that they came up with for people that were kind of posers. They would pretend to be a philosopher, but really they just sort of pulled a bunch of hodgepodge of things and trying to impress everybody. And basically all these philosophers would have been, you don't know what you're talking about. That's basically what they were saying to Paul. Some were saying that. They were saying different things to him. They took him, though, to a place called the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus basically means the hill of Ares. That was the Greek god of war. Uh, The Romans called that uh, the hill of Mars. And so some of your Bibles say Paul at where? Paul at Mars Hill. That's why it's called that. He was at the Areopagus, and it was basically like this court. It wasn't a legal court, but it was kind of this intellectual court where these uh, philosophers would get together, and they would kind of hear somebody make their case. And so they were giving the, Paul the opportunity, is this for real? Is this to be accepted or not? It's kind of interesting today, actually. The Greek Supreme Court is called the Areopagus. And so that's been passed down. Now, let's pick up on what Paul said. That's, uh, that's kind of what got things going, but let's pick up in verses uh, 22 through uh, 29. He said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar, listen, with this inscription. He found an altar that was inscribed, This is an altar to an unknown God. Okay, before we even talk about what this means, are you perking up and thinking how you might use that to share about Christ? He says, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, and that was just a word that meant no knowledge, you're not sure about who that God is, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now, he's already telling them, there is one God. He said, there's a God who made the world. He's the creator God. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the almighty God. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. He's a transcendent God, nor is he served by human needs as though he needed anything. He's a self-sufficient God. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He's the sustaining God who gives us everything that we need. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. And this God has a what? Has a plan, is what Paul is saying, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. He's a relational God. Though he is not far from each one of us. There's an opportunity to know this God. For in him we live and move and exist. And even some of your own prophets he quotes have said. For we also are his children or his offspring. 
Being then the children or offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. He's a living God. Okay? He's not a fake, idol kind of God. Now, I want to focus on that unknown God part. Okay? As I said earlier, there were idols and statues all throughout Athens. But apparently, because they were very polytheistic people, that means they believed in many gods. And this is what they said. Basically, what they were saying is, we don't know who the real God is. Okay? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship everyone we can possibly get our hands on. And maybe we'll get the right one. That's kind of what they were saying. They were going by the numbers, okay? Let's roll the dice. If we worship all of them, surely we'll get one of them right. He'll be happy with us. But listen, they reserved just in case. Maybe we missed him. So we're going to just have this place. Apparently, there was at least one, and some say there might have been even more. There's at least one that said there might be one that we missed, so we're even going to worship the unknown God. The one that we might not have identified yet. We missed him along the way. Here's God's servant, Paul. He says, I can see it in their hearts. They're searching. They know. That all this religious activity has not gotten them any closer to God. They can tell in their hearts that there's a void. There's still something missing. He said, that God that you worship without knowledge, I would like to share him with you. And isn't it kind of cool in those verses that Paul explains... And you say, well, I could never done what Paul did. Well, first of all, he was, in a, he was in an intellectual setting where he was breaking down for them in, in detail, but he was sharing with them principles. And I think it's kind of cool the way that he did it. He was considering the audience that he was with, and he was breaking it down into principles that they could understand and receive at that moment. Look at verses 30 through 31. It says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. What did Paul just share with them? He shared the good news, didn't he? He shared about salvation. And again, he's sharing it in a way, he's sharing it in a very concept uh, principle kind of way where they could begin to understand and get their arms around it. And then look what happens. It says, now when they heard it, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. That's ridiculous. But others said, well, maybe we'll talk about it again. We're thinking about it. And then in verse 33, so Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed. They trusted in Christ. And just as a side note, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite. So one of the judges in the council that he was standing before gave his life to Jesus that day. Isn't that cool? And then there was a couple other people there that are mentioned. Wow! Now I think the Lord gives us that example. You should think about, when you're thinking about how can I more effectively share about the Lord with other people, you should think about Paul at Mars Hill because what he did is he took the situation around him and he said, how can I share about the Lord in such a way that would be best for these people where they're at to understand and receive it? In whatever situation you find yourself in, we should ask the Lord, Lord, help me to be sensitive to your spirit and ready and willing to share, like we've already talked about. 
Lord, help me to be looking for how you're at work. Listen, some of us act like sharing is a chore. It's fun. It's a journey. You wake up in the morning, you say, God, I'm, I'm still here. And you have me here to share about Christ with other people. So I can't wait to see who it is today. You hear me? And so you're just looking like, Paul, you're not surprised necessarily. You're expecting that God's going to bring. So you're watching how God's at work. And listen, it is our role as God's servant. God could have done this fine by himself, but for some reason he's chosen to use us to help connect the dots. To help, to describe for people. Listen, most of, all of us really, without God's help, are living in a very feet-on-the-ground, daily-life mindset, aren't we? And so God calls us as His people to live in that world, to be in the world but not of the world, to live in that world and to help people to bridge over from real life, everyday things to larger spiritual truths. Then like Paul, to share the good news. Now I want to draw a distinction. God's message never changes. But the way or the method in which we share it does change according to the situation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. The Bible says, let no corrupt or let no rotten words proceed from your mouth. We use that to talk about cursing or not talking, you know, bad things or whatever. But in a different way, it says, but only let those things come out. Only let such a word as is good for edification or building up. Listen, what does it say? According to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Okay, so let's talk about the message. What is the message? The message is very simply that God does have a purpose and a plan for our lives. But unfortunately, we have made the decision to not follow that purpose and that plan. And because of that, it's called sin, because we haven't followed God's purpose. Our sin has built a wall between us and God. And there's absolutely nothing that we can do to tear that wall down. But God saw that problem. He said, you know what? I will do it for you. And so Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He was the perfect sacrifice to make the right payment because payment had to be made. God can't just overlook wrongdoing. Someone had to pay, but God said, I will pay it myself. It's incredible, isn't it? God was willing to satisfy his own eternal requirements for you. He says, if you will trust in what I am offering to you, what I have done for you, I will apply that payment to your account, and I will, see, I rose from the dead, so I showed what would have destroyed you. I took it straight on. I was the lightning rod of my own wrath. I took it straight on. I rose victoriously, and if you ride my coattails, you'll be in good shape for a long, long time. Amen? That's an understatement. Sometimes you hear that described as a sinner's prayer. You ever heard of that? You ever heard of that, the sinner's prayer? The, um, the little booklet that you see out uh, on, the, uh, on the table out there. The eternal life track. It's a great explanation about a relationship with God, what that's all about. But at the end of it, there's a prayer that somebody can pray. It says, Dear God, I know that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross, was raised from the dead. I know I've sinned and need forgiveness. I am willing to turn from my sins, that's repentance, the Bible talks about, and receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. That's faith. The Bible says, through repentance and faith, through turning from my way and trusting in God's way, thank you for saving me in Jesus' name, amen. Now that's just a, listen, 
the sinner's prayer, if that's what you know, we call it, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says you have to say those words. Okay, You have to say that exact thing. Here's what it's, what it's trying to communicate. This is a summary of what the Bible teaches it means to understand the good news. And then you ask someone, have you now received that message? See, when I'm talking with people, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, do you understand the message that we just shared? Then now, have you received that message? So it's just a way for us to say, instead of sitting down and saying, well, let's read the whole Bible right now. It says, let's give you a synopsis of what it's all about. Okay, so that never changes. But Jesus always shared that in different ways with different people. Have you noticed that? Every person. He looked at that person's life. He looked at their culture. He looked at everything about that person and said, you know what, I'm going to tailor what I share with them in such a way that they can best understand and receive it. Write down 1 Corinthians 9, verses 20 through 22. I'll just read verse 22. Paul says, I have become all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. I'll do whatever I need to do to best communicate. Now, it doesn't mean sin. It doesn't mean break the law or be unethical, okay? What it's saying is, within the boundaries of honoring God, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to do the best I can to communicate to every person I possibly can the good news about Jesus. I hear a lot of Christians say that they believe that many people don't want to hear about God. I don't think that's true. I find many people that are open to talking about God. You know what I believe? I believe that we've approached it not like this. So we just sort of have this canned, you know, one, two, three, do you want to do that right now? Hurry up. You know what I'm saying? Rather than being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and letting God shape the conversation and His timing, bringing back that result. If you had come into the service tonight and I was standing out in the hallway preaching my heart out when you walked through the doors, I mean, just going to town on the message. Well, hopefully you're receiving it right now. What if it was the same message? Say, good grief, you know. Give me a little space, right? I mean, you could say hello first, you know. Could be nice. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't... Isn't there introduction, body, and conclusion to every story? So God's built us in such a way to receive things certain ways. And every person is different. Did you know? I want to encourage you tonight. Most of us don't share our faith because we're afraid of the person that's going to get hostile. Did you know that studies have shown only 5% of people in America would truly get that way with you? So we're not sharing our faith because we're afraid of that 5%. Instead of the 95% that wouldn't be that way. In fact, studies show that 8 out of 10 Americans would come to church if we invited them. But most people who don't go to church have never been invited. They say that's as many as 150, 130, 140 million people that would come to church next weekend if we invited them. Doesn't that encourage you? The enemy has given us a lie. People don't care. People don't want to know. Well, listen, there are some people that don't care. There are some people that don't know. I want to pray for them. Amen. I want to pray that God will soften their heart. There are some people that are just going to reject. There are some people that are just going to rebel. 
I can't explain everything. I haven't lived in every culture and every time and every period of all of history, so I can't evaluate everything. But I can just tell you right now, in our community, in our country, it seems like people are open. So people of God, what do we say in that song? Set your church on fire. Amen. Be encouraged tonight. Leave here saying, God, would you put my spiritual antenna up? God, would you help me have your heart? Not be so selfish. God, tonight, would you help me not to force upon someone some specific way that I think I have to unload your message? Would you help me be like you and be sensitive to how to best communicate faithfully, lovingly, the amazing message? salvation Father tonight we love you and we thank you for saving us for all those who have given their lives to you tonight we thank you for the incredible calling that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation we are ambassadors for God what a privilege I'm sorry Lord that I get lazy I'm sorry that I get off track I'm sorry I get selfish thank you for using this to remind me and to challenge me pray you've done the same for others of your people here this morning, this evening. Lord, if there's somebody here, like those people on Mars Hill, has never given their life to you, and there are many in our country, pray that tonight they would call upon your name and say, yes, God, I hear. I've been following false gods, fruitless pursuits, things that I thought would fill that never have. Please forgive me, God. Please come into my life. I want to follow you. Teach me your ways. We pray these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.